1: When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that at any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it.
0: And as a leader, you have to be a transition
1: figure. As Dr. Covey said, Be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Do you want to lead a life that you wouldn't trade for anything? My guest today, Fraser Cameron, not only believes that you should, but he shows us how. Since 2012, he's helped thousands reach elite performance through his videos, courses, challenges, and coaching. And what Fraser believes is that happiness is living your passions. And he believes that freedom is the ability to choose. It's the ability to choose what, when, how, and with whom. And that fulfillment is combining all of those things. You see, eight years ago, Fraser had it all. He had everything, you know, the house, the family, all the material things. But something was missing, and he felt stuck. And what he realized is he was living someone else's dream. And this made him grumpy, and it made him grumpy with the people that matter most to him. So he decided to take action. And he got super clear on what he wanted and who he was. And most importantly, he found his why. And since that time, he started living the life that he wanted to live. And he's made it his mission to help others do the same. When I listened back to this episode, it connected with me. It resonated. And I felt inspired. It's so much so that I sent him a message letting him know how much it meant to me for him to share all the things that he shares on this show. And so there's a lot that we cover. I'm just going to give a few of the highlights. He shares why we should have kid vision when it comes to thinking about what is possible. He talks about this concept that he calls fluff, which is what most of us spend our time doing. About 75% of our time is spent doing fluffy things. And he says that instead, we should be far more purposeful with how we spend our time. And he gives us tips on how to ensure this happens. He gives us ideas on how to improve focus by doing more by doing less. And he also shares how we can avoid fear, not just fear of failure, but also fear of success. And Fraser breaks all of this down in easy-to-understand terms. I absolutely love this episode. So without further ado, let's jump in to the conversation. Fraser
0: Cameron, welcome to Inside Out. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Billy. I've been looking forward to this for a week or so now, so I can't wait to see where we go with this.
1: Yeah, no, it's fun. Let's start with something that's near and dear to my heart. And I know it's near and dear to your heart and that's travel. But before we get into travel, I have a confession to make. I too like the hop on hop off bus, which any self-respecting traveler might not admit, but I'll tell you what, man, it's a great way to get a lay of the land. I don't know if you've done it more than once, but my wife and I love doing it as the first thing we do when we get to a new city so that we can get a lay of the land and start to see things, and then we immerse
0: ourselves into the rest of the city. Yeah, look, if you had said that to me 10 years ago, I probably would have heard some form of abuse at you about not being a real traveler, but traveling with kids has definitely changed my perspective. So when we go to a new city, it's a great way of spending an afternoon or a day exploring stuff, finding out where you want to go, and then you can go and look at it yourself. So th- they are absolutely... They are absolutely golden. I'm now a big fan, and we have done it in about seven or eight cities now, and it is a great way of getting clear on where you want to go and where you don't want to spend your time. So absolutely, I'm a fan. I'm converted.
1: Oh, man. Let's talk about No Opportunity Wasted. Phil Kogan is a fellow Kiwi, yeah. as far as I know, creator in, in, of The Amazing Race. But he had a, something called No Opportunity Wasted, which I know had an influence on you. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what that's all about.
0: So I'm even not sure. I know he's a New Zealand citizen. I think he may have even been born in the UK to British parents and then moved around. But we we own him here New Zealand. So I read his book, No Opportunity Wasted, and it's all about him creating amazing moments and memories for him and his family by not saying no to stuff, by just creating opportunity. And it it had a massive impact on me when I read it. And I realized how many opportunities I had let pass me by, how many opportunities I'd seen but not taken advantage of. And it made me just realize the importance of grabbing them and, and making moments making memories Mm -hmm. making experiences and I think since reading his book I probably achieved more in the four or five years after that than I had in the 35 years before it just suddenly seeing opportunity and it's amazing you can relate that not just to moments that you create with your family but to business to health and well-being to to everything you know and it's being able to see things and then going right I'm going to go and create that now and given what that man has done in a few short years you know he was unknown outside of New Zealand sort of 15 years ago and now everybody recognizes his face and his voice Mm. and he's gone on to not just tell people what they can do but to show people what they can do. It was one of three books that had massive impact on me when I read them and the fact that he was a claim them as a New Zealander made it even more special for me. Well, Juan, what are the other two books? So the other ones are both by Robin Sharma. So The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, autobiographical novel, from what I understand it from Robin Sharma, all about defining what matters to you in life and what success looks like to you and what is important to you. I read that in a luxury resort in Fiji with my wife not long after I'd made the decision to chase my dreams. The kids were back in New Zealand with family. We ducked away for four nights in Fiji and Mm -hmm. it was beautiful weather and sipping on cocktails and didn't put this book down until I read it from cover to cover. And so grabbed me that I went, right, I've got to pursue this. This is right. It feels right. I've got to go through with it. And the other one was, I'm going to get the name wrong, but losing my virginity. I think the, the Sir Richard Branson, mm, has, Sir
1: Richard Branson, yeah, yeah, his
0: first book. I've read both of the the updated one and on that as well. But that had a real impact as well because a lot of what I do is challenging conventional wisdom and the status quo, Billy. And no one epitomizes that better than Sir Richard Branson, who just goes, "Well, I don't care if it's been done that way for years. I'm going to do it this way." And mm-hmm. his combination of personal adventures, of family moments, of building game-changing businesses really resonated. So those are the three books that I recommend everyone reads because they're all easy reads, but they were the three books that had the biggest impact on me. Well, just sitting here reminiscing about them gets me all excited and reminds me that I probably should read them again. So so thank you for that. But yeah, it's those three there. I haven't
1: read all three, but I did read Sir Richard Branson's book and it was a game changer for me as well. I Like you, he's somebody that I am passionate about. In fact, that was actually one of my questions. So you jumped ahead because I was going to ask you about him specifically. Let's go back though, real quickly to this idea of, avoiding saying no to things and saying yes more often, how do you find the balance between, because you know you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else, at least in simplistic terms. And I know that you're not an advocate for being busy. You're not an advocate for doing too many things, but doing the right things. And you're very much a person who believes in the experiences and creating experiences for you and your family that matter. How do you make that decision Right. If you say no, opportunity wasted. How do you make that decision to say yes or no to something? Because I've gone through phases where I'm like, I'm just going to say yes to everything, and then I've gone through phases where I'm, just, I got to say no to more things.
0: How do you run the balance? Yeah, there's there's such conflicting advice about that. And the minute you ask that question, I went straight to the Jim Carrey movie, The Yes Man, or wherever Yes it is Man. Is yeah, right, written. right, right, right. And. reminded of it because with the kids, we were at the Hollywood Hills earlier this year, and it's where a lot of that set up there with the um, various things there. So it's a great question. I think it becomes too easy to say yes to everything thinking that you have to. And it can also be very easy to say no to everything to protect your time. So for me, it's about learning to listen and trust your instinct. So when it feels right, it's something you should pursue. If it doesn't quite feel right, then hold back. So I always ask my clients and potential clients this and getting them to identify the three best decisions they've made in their life. And usually it's get married, it's to whatever it may be. And almost always, without fail, they are instinctual. They are ones that felt right, but perhaps didn't make sense from a pros and cons list or didn't make sense from a rational perspective. So for me, it's learning to listen to your instinct. The stuff that makes you feel excited, fills you with anticipation. The stuff that scares you but scares you because you want to achieve it the stuff that just gives you that warm fuzzy feeling is the stuff that you should pursue the things that make you feel a bit off are the things that you should say no to so and you're right it's a real balance because if you say yes to everything you end up so busy you don't get to enjoy it you say no to everything you miss every single opportunity there is so really it is for me learning to trust and listen to Your instinct is that differentiator.
1: I think that's a great framework to remember when faced with a yes or no decision, trusting your gut and learning to listen to your intuition. One of the things that really impresses me about the work that you're doing, and first and foremost, let me just say that this bizarre universe that we're in, in not one, but two instances over the last week, I've talked with somebody about the word epic. And not only that, but my son has a YouTube channel called Kid Epic. I don't think we even talked about that. And I... I have a YouTube channel that I'm starting in the domain, Dad Epic. So, I mean, and I've had that for years. And so it's just like the fact that you've done what you've done. And I know a big portion of what you did previously was really focused on dads. And now you're focused more generally on men, but a lot of the men happen to be fathers. And you talk about epic performance or peak performance on your LinkedIn profile, it says as of September, 2020, 897 people have achieved elite performance. How do you define elite performance?
0: So I wrap it up into the term optimized success, which you might have seen me use as well. And so for me, we've been told what success looks like. And often it's fair to say the American dream, you know, the white picket fence, the 2.4 kids, the station wagon, the big home, the corner office job. And for me, that is the ideal life is defined by someone else. Yes, that is someone's ideal life, but it might not be mine. It might not be yours. So for me, I saw a fantastic definition of true success about three months ago by a guy called Ryan Stuman. He's an American known as a hardcore closer, I think is his brand. But he said true success is living a life you wouldn't trade for anything. And that to me just captures it in one simple sentence. So it's different for everyone. What I see as successful, you might not see as successful for you. And I think that the key is to define it your own way. So it's that feeling that you go, I wouldn't trade this for anything. If someone offered Mm -hmm. me $5 million, but I'd have to live a different life, would I take it? When you say no, you know that you're actually living the life that you wouldn't trade for anything so i think that is where it comes down to it might be living in the mountains it might be being location free it might be working on wall street it might be being a doctor it might be being a surfer like the actual thing doesn't matter as long as it matters to the individual so i think it's it's really when you live that life that you wouldn't swap when someone offers you something better Mm -hmm. or something different it's when you go and that evolves over time too it might change when you and I are going to be faced with the thing, Billy, in the next 10 to 12 years when our kids are growing up and not living with us. And, and what we define as the life we wouldn't trade for anything might evolve and change. And that's mm. okay as well. It's a continuously evolving animal. That's a good thing, but it's being able to define it that's key.
1: That's right. And the evolution of what is defined as our own success will change and morph as we change. And we're constantly evolving One of the things that you talk about a lot, which I really, really appreciate, is this idea and concept of having a limitless mindset. How does one develop this? And how do you work with your clients to develop that kind of mindset?
0: So the simple answer to that is we have to unlearn almost everything we've been conditioned to believe. You've got kids, so you get this. Like When you see a child, when you see them when they're younger learning to walk, They are limitless, right? They get up, they fall over. It doesn't stop them. They get up and they go again. They want something that's on the other side of the room and they're not going to stop until they get there. Then we get conditioned through education, through experiences, through other people's opinions to start to shoebox ourselves and start to go, well, I'm only capable of this because I fit this stereotype or this is what other people tell me I can do. So it really is a case of unlearning and going, if we didn't have those perceived barriers, if we didn't have those perceived restrictions, if we didn't have those self-imposed limits, what would we want? What would we want to achieve? What would we be capable of? And I think it's a real challenge. It's one of the hardest things I take my clients through is that ability to unlock the limitless in them. And my first ever coach referred to it as your kid vision, being able to see Mm. things out of your kid-like eyes. Because when we're younger, you talk to kids, They want to be an astronaut. They want to be a Formula One racing car driver. My son wants to be an NBA superstar. They don't limit it by what they think are capable of. It's all based on what they feel they want. And so it's a matter of unlearning all that we've been told in our years, becoming an adult, growing up, which is ironic, and actually then stepping back into the kid vision and going, what is it that truly makes us feel alive? What is it that we really, really want, irrespective of whether we think we're capable of it? or not. Mm -hmm. And there's ways I go through that. Look, I I work with behavioral psychologists and brand strategists to come up with ways to extrapolate the data from clients so they can see themselves and they can have those aha and epiphany moments. But really is about trying to be like a kid again, because kids have the most wondrous imaginations and ability to dream and they're not held back by perceived ability to achieve it. And so the more we can Mm -hmm. tap into that, the better it will be.
1: Right, and one of the things that you've said is instead of saying, I can't, say why and how. And yet, to your point, we're often afraid to think big. Why do you think it is that we're afraid to think big? And maybe give a couple of suggestions to somebody that knows they should be thinking bigger than they are, but for whatever reason, they have the fear, the insecurity, the doubt, something's preventing them from doing that.
0: It's a great question. And I think that we get so wrapped up and worrying about what everyone else is thinking or saying or perceiving that we hold ourselves back, right? So we get scared of failing and other people pointing and laughing. We get scared of being judged because we're not doing what they're doing or we're not doing it the way they should. So the simplest advice is is really just about stepping back and going, what matters to me? What is it I want to achieve? And if I wasn't worried about what everyone else thinks, what would I do? Would I chase the house?" with the station wagon or would I want the tin shack on the beach in Hawaii that gives me access to the surf? So it's really asking those simple questions and going, what would make me feel free and fulfilled? Not what makes other people feel free and fulfilled and not trying to keep up with the Joneses, but defining it your way. And I think stripping it back and just literally going, what does it look like to me? What what would I have if I wasn't then chasing more? And Mm I care about what other people think, but I don't worry about what they think and mm-hmm. I think that to me was a really massive step forward when I stopped worrying about it. Yes, I won't lie. There's three or four people who I do worry about what they think my kids, my wife sitting up there in their thing, and close friends and mentors but it's a very small group other than that, I don't worry because only I'm accountable to me in the life that I live, and I think that is. Social media makes us horrible, Billy, because we compare ourselves to others mm. all day, every day. And mm-hmm. it's great in that it provides inspiration to what we can achieve, but it's bad in that it makes us feel as though we're failing because we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be such a limiter. So it really is about not worrying about what everyone else is doing, what they're saying, what they're thinking, and just focusing on on ourselves. Mm. I really like the
1: distinction that you've made that you don't worry what other people are thinking. You may care, but you're not going to worry. Yeah. And I think ruminating on things and worrying about things is one of the the most damaging things you can do to yourself. Speaking of things that you do to yourself, you've often said that the people that you're helping, they get in their own way. And you help them get out of their own way through your coaching and, and working with them. What are some of the more common ways that people get in their own way? And what are some of the solutions that you
0: found most helpful we talked before about the word i can't you know and so people get on their own way when they say i can't do this i can't do this i don't have the ability or people like me don't achieve that or i've already got enough success why do i want more right so they start to limit themselves based on what they think they should have what society tells them they should have so I get in my own way continuously still, Billy, which is why I have coaches and mentors to make sure I walk the walk and get out of my own way. But it really is a matter of, I heard somewhere a couple of years ago, the definition of a coach is someone that sits outside your picture frame looking in at it. So they're not in the picture with you, but they're looking in and can help you see. And so I think what, where a coach adds value, and what I do for my clients is be able to sit back and go, I can see what's in your picture. Can you see it? And help them describe it in the way that I see it for them to go, oh yeah, I see that too. And so it's suddenly not the small picture they think it is, but it's this big, exciting one. So it's really about helping them to paint the picture and to see how exciting the picture is, because we tend to see it through our own, you know, racehorses with their blinkers on. We see it like Mm -hmm. that. Whereas the reality is it's this big, amazing thing here. So it's it's taking them on the journey where they can get rid of those blinkers and start to see. What's there? It's it's part of why I do it with is getting them to write their story, the story of their life with all their aha and epiphany moments. Because when they do this, they sit back and they go, Wow, I've achieved some amazing things. I've I've had some amazing moments, I've come through, I've overcome um, adversity, I've overcome challenge, and I've achieved things that I never dreamt possible. And they go, Wow, I am quite clever, I am talented, I am capable, I am full of greatness. And that to me then allows them to go, well, there's no reason I can't achieve even more. There's no reason why I can't overcome this barrier. So there's a number of tools, but I think getting people to reflect on their own journey and their own story is a very, very powerful way for them to go, wow, I can overcome barriers. I can go beyond what I thought I was possible. I've done it before, usually many times. I can do it again. It's about perspective, I guess.
1: Right. And I think we all have blind spots, which is one of the most valuable reasons why getting a coach or having people close to you that can help to really shed some light on those blind spots. Are there any other things that stand out when it comes to us getting in our own way, just as human beings, blind spot being one of them, and that could have many different faces? Are there any other really, really common areas that we... We're our own worst enemy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, I think it was, was it Jim Ron who talked about surrounding it? You know, we are the some of the five people we surround ourselves with. Was it Jim Ron, Jim Wax or one of them? Anyway, but that is such a limiter as well. When we surround ourselves with negative people that are constantly holding themselves back and holding others back, then that happens as well. So who you surround yourself with, who you engage with, who you spend your time with is a simple way of, enhancing your performance and and dreaming bigger as well. And it's something that you can do instantly. And I see it a lot with people. They're scared to let go of old ties. They're scared to offend people. They're scared to jump ahead and leave people behind. And I think that often really holds them back as well. The other two things are fear of failure and fear of success. I was scared of success for so long and it held me back, but I didn't see it. It comes back to, as well, worrying about what other people think. We don't want to fail, but we also don't want to be too successful because we don't want others to, to look at us and judge us and everything else. So those two become big barriers as well. And that fear causes some people to then retreat back in their shell and accept what they have as being enough. And it causes other people to go, hang on a minute, I'm not going to accept this. I'm going to do something about it. And everyone's capable of being the latter, but a lot of people end up in the former camp of just retreating.
1: Mm. Well, I think being intentional with who you surround yourself with is a massive, massive thing to focus on. If we don't, what can end up happening inadvertently is we are surrounding ourselves with people who are consciously or subconsciously bringing us down and preventing us from thriving. Another thing that prevents people from thriving is something that you and I talked about during our, our last discussion, which was this idea of people just being busy. And what you advocate is to do less, but achieve more. In other words, we should not be doing more. It's about doing better. Why do people make this mistake so often? And then what is the way you can help them get right back on the path where they are achieving more rather than just being busy for busy's sake?
0: So I think a lot of people fill their days with things for a myriad of reasons. One of them is, is they lack purpose. They lack a clear understanding of why they're doing the things they're doing. So they just fill it up with lots of what's, lots of what they're doing. I blame the hustle and grind culture that says the harder you work, the more you'll achieve. So everyone just adds more and more things to it. And you know, for years, we've seen that badge of honor people wear on their sleeve that I work 12 hour days, so I must be more successful than you because you only work 10 hour days and it becomes a competition. It's ridiculous. And I think busyness becomes a habit. Success has been perceived as the busier you are, the more successful you must be. And for me, the key to doing less and achieving more is being purposeful in all that you do. And, you know, I've talked before about you can work harder, you can work smarter, or you can work better. Now, harder to me is the worst option because if it's not targeted, then you're just literally sacrificing for no point. Working smarter is better because you're targeting more, but being the best worker in the room, being the better worker and enhancing what you do, because that's when you do less and achieve more. It's about being purposeful in all that you do. I find with clients, most of their days are filled with what I call fluff. It's things that isn't particularly purposeful. It's not taking them towards where they want to go to. It's not an intent activity. And... Most clients I find, I think I worked this out the other day, it's about 75% of their time is spent on fluff. Now, if you Mm -hmm. take 75% out of people's day and give them back 75% of their time, they are going to be a better performer. They are going to achieve so much more, but yet they're doing less to do it, which surely has to be, I mean, I look at the masters like Sir Richard Branson, entrepreneurship, Usain Bolt and Sport, LeBron James, all these people have the appearance of time. They all seem to have a lot of time. We have pictures of Sir Richard Branson wandering around Necker Island in the morning journaling and observing things. You know, Usain Bolt's laughing and joking at the beginning of the race. LeBron James gets the ball and it it seems as though the defenders take five minutes to get to him and he can just do whatever he wants to do. It's, they have time. It goes across peak performers in any industry. They have time. So they have got rid of the fluff. Sir Richard Branson doesn't do the things he doesn't need to do. Usain Bolt doesn't go and run five-mile runs because he knows it's not going to make him quicker. LeBron James doesn't do the things he doesn't need to do to take him where to get there. So it really is about being purposeful in all that you do. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you have to know what your purpose is. So that's typically the first thing I do with working with clients is to define their non-ego or self-driven purpose. Because once you have that, anything that doesn't align with that literally gets picked up, thrown away. If it's not purposeful, don't do it. And it's tough to let go of those things that have become habits. But when you do, you suddenly see, oh, I can do less and achieve more. And who doesn't want that? I don't personally understand anyone who doesn't want that because I've been living it for now. But I know before my previous life, I thought I had to do more to achieve more. And in the end, something breaks, either relationships or whatever else, because you've just got no time. And that to me isn't Mm -hmm. appealing.
1: Well, I think most people do. I mean, most people think that busyness Is success is what needs to happen, they're grinding, they're working hard, all the things that you've said. And you just brought up this concept, which I want to double click on, which is this idea of having a non-ego and self-driven purpose. What you've described, an outcome that you know the world needs, that is a real true purpose. And so once you find that true north, that will help inform what you fill your day with, which shouldn't be the fluff. Fluff is only good if you're roasting marshmallows in a campsite. It's not good in in your schedule. How do you do that though? How do you get to that point where
0: you can develop something where it says, okay, this is the outcome I want to give the world? Yeah. So it's, it's a really interesting one. I have a process that I take clients through and it's all about delving into discovering what makes your heart beat a little bit faster. What draws your attention when you see someone discussing something? What makes you go, oh, there's got to be a way to solve that. What's always nagging at your back of your mind going, that's a problem that doesn't need to be a problem. Just watching the Sir David Attenborough series last night with my wife on Netflix, and where he's talking about the evolution of what's happened in the world. And he's like, this doesn't need to be the problem that it is, guys. And that's clearly something that's driven him to greatness because he's had this purpose that drives him. So it's really about, and this is the problem I see when people go, my family's my purpose. And you go, and I always say, no, your family is one of your missions. And absolutely, it's important. It's vital to me too, but they're not my purpose because- self-driven. That's self-driven. And when I say ego, I'm not talking about arrogance-driven. I'm talking about self and, and, and that. that's self-driven. And that to me is limiting and dangerous and playing too small. We need to think bigger. And something that's self-driven makes a good mission. So it's your what. What are you going to do to achieve something? So part of what I do- is I want to spend lots of time and have my family surrounded with me and travel with them. That's great. Not my purpose, but it's what I do. So having that purpose that's bigger, for instance, mine is my purpose is a world where people challenge conventional wisdom and the status quo and go beyond what they thought possible. Because I saw too many people being limited by adhering to a norm, by conforming, by everything else. And I was doing the same. There's got to be a way to change this. So that's my purpose. My purpose is I want to see a world where people are no longer constrained by that. Now, the chances of me seeing that in my lifetime are slim, but that doesn't stop me pushing it in the hope that others will take on the crusade or the revolution and various guises and move it forward. It's like Elon Musk with his goal to have a society on Mars. It's possibly unlikely he'll achieve it in his lifetime, but other people will take it on board and it will continue this momentum. So I think having that... For me, it's about delving into the things that really constantly sit at the back of your mind that you never let go of. And for me, it was people not making the most of their potential. It was seeing people living a life they thought they had to live but not being satisfied by it. So I always ask my clients, what are these things that are constantly gnawing at you that you can't necessarily explain but never leave you? Because that is the window into what your purpose is. What framework do
1: you recommend? You mentioned that you have some questions and you have some exercises. For the audience listening to this, that's thinking, okay, I agree. That makes sense. What kind of action can they take to start to realize what their purpose and intention should be? What what framework
0: do you think would be most helpful for them? Yeah, it's a big question. That's not an easy answer, but it's a it's a very simple answer. I think just asking yourself lots of why questions. Why is this important to me? Why am I doing things this way? Why am I interested in that and why questions are horrible because they're confronting and we don't like to admit it, but they're great in terms of their outcome. Why am I feeling triggered by this? Why am I excited when I see this outcome? Why am I frustrated when I see this happening? Just asking some of those bigger questions. And you talked before about the value of having a coach and it doesn't have to be a coach or a mentor. It might be a close friend. It might be a confidant. It might be a colleague, but having someone else that you can bounce things off because just saying it out loud to someone can often trigger that clarity. Mm -hmm. You can go, oh, that's why. Just delving a little bit deeper, and I read up a lot, Robin Sharma on Simon Sinek and just discovering how they went through to discover their why, what processes they went on and just learning from what they did and then trying to apply that to myself. And the reason why so many hold back, Billy, is because you have to ask yourself the really hard questions. You don't often like the answers behind it or there often isn't an obvious answer to you. So Often it's easy just to put the blinds up and ignore it, but it's continuously asking, well, why is that Mm -hmm. a problem? I I had a guy, potential client I was chatting to recently who told me what his purpose was. And it was very ego and self-driven and it was more of a mission. And I said, look, that's great. And I I love what you're doing there, but why is that important to you? And we carried on this conversation for (laughs) quite some time. And it turns out that he then unlocked this bigger, really exciting thing. And he went, wow, that's my purpose. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. that's your mission. That your idea. One of your missions there, but this is your purpose. You'd see his eyes light up, and he goes, "Wow!" And suddenly, thinking back to Phil Keegan, no opportunity wasted. He saw a world of choice and opportunity that was aligned with where he was thinking. So it's those why questions that we avoid that are absolutely fundamental.
1: A purpose is so much more rewarding if it's more than just about you, if it's bigger than you. And I'm going to call it the why onion, which you need to keep peeling back the layers to get to what that is and asking those difficult to answer questions, which we, to your point, don't want to answer, which is why, 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 why? I think that's a really, really strong framework to remember. And I think you have to sometimes get external help. Speaking of external help, you say that in order to create something epic. You need to have an amazing support team, and you relate it back to like a heavyweight boxer, which I love. This mm. tell tell me a little bit about why you think having a support team is so important, and maybe give some ideas on how to find those people and who those people should be. Yeah, it's a great question.
0: We all face battles and struggles, and and you know just talking about why it's important to have a purpose that's not ego driven. When it's ego-driven, it's easy not, not to chase it on certain days. You convince yourself, well, it doesn't matter today. I'll have an off day. I'll just relax because, you know, it's mine and I'll do it tomorrow. Whereas when it's bigger than that, it inspires you to get out of bed. I know even on the days when you can't be bothered, even on the days when it feels a bit too hard, because it's like you're drawn by something that's bigger than you. So there's that desire to deliver. But the the, the support team, it's the heavyweight boxer one's a great example. You know, they've got their strength and conditioning trainers. They've got their dietitians, They've got their coaches. And then they've got their corner man who in between rounds is patching them up and saying, hey, look, he's got an opening. If you go to the left, you're going to get in there or just keep going. And, you know, it's that, it's that belief that shows us we're on the right path. There's also those people that believe in what we're trying to do, believe in us, and are there to prop us up when sometimes we doubt that ourselves. I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for the coaches that I've had in the past and the coaches that I've got now. I wouldn't be without my family, without unofficial mentors, some of them that don't even know they're my mentors, but I draw inspiration from my conversations with them. Uh, I think that the importance of that is we suddenly get a different perspective. We can see things how others see them because they tell us, they share with us their insight, they help us to see what's right in front of us that we can't see. They help us, they challenge our thinking. And that to me is where conviction comes from. There's a lack of conviction in the world at the moment because we change our minds the minute someone suggests something or we, never, we don't feel strong enough about it to push back. And that conviction comes from other people challenging us and us going, no, I do feel this way because, or this is why. So having that support team is fundamental to do that. Finding them is an interesting one. I put out a guide about finding the right coach for you And it all comes down to someone that has either been on the same journey you want to go on or has demonstrated an ability to take others on that journey. Someone who speaks the same language as you. And I don't mean literally whether they speak English or Mandarin, but it's they speak in a way that you speak. They use words that inspire and motivate you. They use terms that you can understand and imagine you using. And also people that you align with from a purpose and a values perspective. Someone that, for me, I wouldn't choose someone that flashed Ferraris, Lamborghinis and private jets anywhere because it wouldn't align with what I want. Whereas the one that goes, here's me and the family having fun in Bali on on a weekend away. Here's me interacting with people on a retreat getaway weekend and helping them live their dreams. Those are the sort of people that are going to inspire me. It's why you and I connected back in the day and why I've followed what you've been doing too because there you are playing with your son. There you are having fun having moments and experiences, and that aligns with who I am. So finding those people that align with you and also those people that are ahead of you on the journey. Mm -hmm. You only need to be a step or two ahead, but those that are a step or two ahead and have value to add and help my journey be more successful, to help my journey move better, to help my journey avoid pitfalls that will slow me down or stop me. And it's finding people like that. And we live in a world where with social media, it's so much easier to find them than it was maybe 10, 15 years ago. Back when we were in our 20s, Billy, it was much harder to find people like that because it was people so in true. our community, whereas now our community is literally the world. Well, <laughs> How many million users there are on LinkedIn and billions of users on Facebook? They're all there. So if you do a little bit of digging, you can uncover huge potential in terms of people that might become part of your support
1: network. Well, I was going to say there's so many coaches out there. How do you pick one? But you just shared some really valuable nuggets on how to do so. And you gave this great reminder that instead of thinking, oh, I have too many coaches to choose from, look at it from the perspective of, wow, look at how many coaches I have to choose from. Looking at it from a positive state of mind, because to your point, not too long ago, we wouldn't have had such a
0: plethora of choices. Absolutely. And once you define who you align with in terms of their values, their purpose, and the way they speak, that huge number of choice then becomes much smaller because instantly you're getting not considering those that aren't aligned with who you are. So what starts off as a, wow, there's so many to choose from, becomes there's now 10. And so it becomes quite a natural progression to limit it down to when there's maybe two or three and you have a chat and you instantly know. I've always Mm -hmm. trusted my instinct whenever I've changed coaches and moved on trust in my instinct. It's worked well every single time. I want to talk about focus
1: because this is an area where I think many, many, including myself, people struggle with. I know that you've even said, and in, in, I think in your very first podcast episode, you said, I'm going to keep these shorts because I have a short attention yes. span. <laughs> How do we focus better? What advice do you have for somebody that is frankly part of the majority that has a problem with keeping focused on the task?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. One that I struggled with for a long time and still rears its ugly head sometimes. But I look at someone like you Usain Bolt. He doesn't spend his time running marathons. I mean, he's retired now, but back when he was competing, he didn't run marathons to make himself quicker. He knew that to be better, to enhance his performance, to optimize his success, he knew he had to be focused. And the way to do that was determining the value he had to, to add to the world, the value he wanted to add to the world, and then reverse engineering. How do I do that? Well, I need to focus on this, this. And I see many people going, Well, I've got seven priorities. Now, I looked up the definition of priority and it, it's, it's a little bit murky, but it talks about one thing that you're focusing on. And yet you hear people say, I've got eight priorities at the moment. And you're like, That's going to be a challenge. It's this instant society. We want to do everything now. We want to be seen to be doing everything. And so we choose a million things to do and we end up, if you're anything like me, achieving not much. So a lot of noise, but not a lot of progress. So that focus is like, What am I going to focus on? today and i have this discussion people say life's a marathon i say life is a series of sprints every day is another sprint where you go out and you maximize your performance that knowing no no matter how well or poorly you perform you wake up the next day and start again and you go there and you do that so it's like what's the focus of that sprint today right Mm. and when when i talk with my clients and we set some strategic goals we talk about a 2 or 3 year horizon when people go what do they need to do and they have all these other things i'm like is that part of your 2 or 3 year horizon or is it going to be on the next horizon and they go oh yeah it's on the next horizon i'm like don't focus on it now focus on this i'm all for keeping the future in mind and having it as a guide and a compass but your daily actions have to be based on right now and i think we get so fascinated with the future we forget to focus on what we need to execute now in order to build the future that we want. So for me, it's about keeping it simple. Two or three tasks in a day is enough. So for me, my focus today was to have a chat with you before you had a client call. And then after this, I'm going to go and do some sprint training. It's my focus for the day. And I will execute all three of them. I hope, Billy, I'm doing this with you, to the best of my ability and adding significant value. Instead of trying to do nine things and doing them all poorly, you know, and it's like if you go to the gym, if you want to work on improving your strength in one area, you do one particular exercise until you get better at that. And then you choose the next one and you evolve from there to achieve mastery, to achieve excellence. We have to really focus. So it's like, if I want to be a master in something, I'm going to focus on this, knowing there'll be plenty of time later to focus on that next thing. But if I don't nail this one here, I'll never get to that point. My mom always says, time is on your side.
1: And I think I love the distinction of not thinking about this like a marathon, like many advocate, but actually thinking of it as sprints or even a series of sprints. Mm -hmm. If it's a a big project, you could have a series of sprints, but narrowing your focus on a day-to-day basis. You're not trying to boil the ocean, but instead you have, call it three things or two things or maybe four things, but like limit it and then give it your all. Speaking of giving it your all, you've said it's better to do something wrong than to regret not doing it. I know you maybe didn't invent that quote, or maybe you did, but regardless, how do you get this message through to your clients?
0: It's a great point. I remember early in my working career, I was paired with this grizzled veteran. I was 22, fresh out of college or university and full of energy (laughs) and working at this entity with this grizzled veteran who was past retirement age, but loved what he did and carried on. And he said, I don't have the energy anymore, but I've got all the knowledge, so you and I will work well together. And he said to me, and he turned around and he said, it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. And it really stuck with me. And I knew he wasn't advocating doing something reckless and then hoping that someone forgives you later. But he was like, it's, it's better to just get out there and do it because that's how you refine. That's how you improve. That's how you get there. So sometimes our, our pursuit of perfection, well, always our pursuit of perfection holds us back. Because if it's not perfect, we don't want to do it. It's like people posting their first video on social media or people launching a business. It's like, it's not perfect yet. I don't have my logo. I don't have my website. I can't start. It's like pursuing perfection causes procrastination. It causes fear. And it's like, instead, let's pursue excellence. And to do that, we have to have a starting point of which to review and refine and make it better the next time. And that's where the series of sprints comes in. You know, The sprint today was good. Tomorrow is going to be better because I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do this, but the same because that worked, but I'm going to do this differently. And so each day the sprint gets better until later on when the sprint is excellent. And then it's like, well, then it's the 1% increments every day to to slowly get better. remember reading an article saying from Usain Bolt saying he never had the perfect race. Mm -hmm. It didn't stop him racing, right? Because he was pursuing that excellence and wanting to get better each and every time. So really it's for the client. It's okay to get something wrong because then you discover and you learn and you grow. You then know that maybe you need to try it again to get it right the next time, or maybe it's not the right thing for you. But if you don't ever try it, you'll never know. Um, And a lot of people get caught up in uh, having lots of ideas, but never, I I had a client once and he'd registered 300 domain names. He'd had 300 business ideas, registered 300 domain names. And we started working together. I said, how many have you done anything with? He said, oh, none of them. I'm like, so you've had 300 ideas that you've never pursued. And any one of those 300 could have been game changing for the world, but you never pursued them. It's like, oh, yeah, now you're looking at it that way. And I said, you only need one idea to work. You only need to implement one idea for it to change. And I think we, it's this fascination with perfection and fascination with getting it right. And again, worrying about what other people think that holds us back from ever trying something. And I encourage my children to try and, not be afraid to make fools of themselves because it really only matters what you think. And if you learn from it, then it's okay. And my son said I live that because he watches me on the basketball court attempting three pointers from all sorts of angles that go nowhere near the hoop. <laughs> but you no, know, each time I learn and I will That's get great. better at it. And the next time I shoot, I will get closer. And it's that, you know, you hear the stories about Kobe Bryant just practicing, practicing and practicing and practicing, practicing, knowing that when it came time to it, he had sunk the shot more often than not. Mm. And it was because he wasn't afraid to try. People said, oh, you're crazy. When's that ever going to be important? You never know when. So I I think it's that being willing to put yourself out there and try. And the people that judge you for failing aren't your people anyway, because you'll very quickly find those who go, hey, that was awesome. I see that you failed. Try this little tweak. Try this. And I've used this in the past and it's worked. Suddenly you start attracting Mm. these people that are in behind you and want to help you and giving you nuggets of how to be better. And I've found that in my own journey. And you never open yourself up to that if you never try.
1: Right. And I I think perfection is not a destination. It may be something that you are relentlessly pursuing, but not with the idea that you're going to arrive there. Like you said, Kobe Bryant got great because he would practice over and over again. And without that tenacity, without that relentless practice, chances are we're not going to get better or whatever it is that we're pursuing. And The fact that you can model that for your kids is amazing. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about parenting. You love a quote, which I hadn't heard before, which I love. And you brought this up. And the quote is Life is short, childhood is shorter. And what that is a stark reminder of is you and I both have young children. In 10 years, they'll be out of the house. But right now, they still idolize us, they still look up to us. We still have this. Maybe the days are slowly going away, but we both value those days. One of the things you talk about is this need for us to walk the walk and model and do the things necessary to be the type of parent that will hopefully showcase things that they should be doing. What stands out to you as an important way for you to be emotionally present for your children?
0: Great question. You've got lots of these, Billy. You're very good at this. So for me, it's really important that we show rather than tell. And you would have seen this with your own relationship with your family. We tell them something. We can often tell them something until they're blue in the face and they won't absorb it. We show them and suddenly the light bulb moment goes off and they, they do it. So I think for me, I battled for a long time with out of reach, with constantly having my phone close to me. Right? Mm. And it was very hard to be present when you're checking something and responding to a client query or checking something on social media. The ability to be emotionally present starts with being physically present as well. So you're in the moment with them, and this is why busyness just so unnecessary because it takes people away from being able to be present, right? But the, having the time to be present, and my son and I go and shoot hoops three or four times a week. My daughter and I will sit and compose songs and do silly dances or play Barbies. It's like actually being physically present, and then it's amazing how much they open up when you are present with them right you'd experience this with your son just watching the the world series of baseball with him I'm sure he shared all sorts of insight with you with things he was watching things he was feeling doing that just by being there you open up that dialogue and the ability to, to share that and one thing I really focused on is being honest with my kids when I was having a tough day going I'm struggling today you know work's frustrating me I'm a little bit edgy and And just being honest, and funnily enough, then forces them or prompts them to be honest back. And so you then have this really honest dialogue, and you suddenly stop taking things out on each other, but you start sharing how you feel. And something that really resonated with me is when we were in France, we were traveling around, we just stopped in the middle of a beautiful town. And my son said, Dad, you know, you used to tell us what you were going to do, but you never did it. Now you do it. And he said, I like the new dad better. And that, it really came home to me. It's like, I didn't realize at the time, but here I was promising all these things I was going to do, but never did. And now my son was observing that now I just did it. Instead of talking about it, I just did it. And he said, I like that one better. And it has never left me that quote. It was two years ago now. I remember vividly the town that we're in, we were walking around in the west of France as well. And it was like, wow, they are They are observing all that we do, right? They are becoming mini-uses. And you're right. It's a very short time that we have that. And very soon, they'll be teenagers and not wanting to listen to or or observe anything that we do. So we've got a short window to influence. And we need to make the most of that window.
1: It is amazing, amazing what they pick up on. I know that you did contract work as as a negotiator for for years and years I think about 9 10 years and you and you came home from work one day and your son's like dad why are you always grumpy and 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 the fact that he picked up on that and that was the really the catalyst for you taking this new journey is a testament to the fact that you made it okay for him to say that by either modeling open honesty and sharing or simply by opening yourself up by being present and even though you weren't maybe things at that point weren't going the way you are. they're going now. It's your own admission. You were overweight, you were tired, you were overworked and all of those things. And that's what made you make the choice. Fraser, what else stands out as you think about how we can empower the audience and, and give them a tool or tools to help set them on their course to take Back control of their lives. So I think that's really what this is about. That's what you did, and you set a great example for taking control of your life. What suggestion, as a as a last word, do you have for the audience?
0: Yeah. So again, another great one. Jeez, Billy, making habit of this. I watched a fantastic documentary by a palliative nurse talking about the biggest regrets of the people she dealt with. These were people that were in the eighties, nineties, in rest homes, and everything else. And the biggest single regret they had. Was, and this is in the palliative nurse's words, not necessarily theirs, is that they lived someone else's life. They didn't do the things they wanted to do, and they were now at the stage of the life that it was too late. So, the, the biggest thing is stop living someone else's life and really get clear on what you want your life to look like. And it's such a simple tool as literally writing down, asking yourself, What does success look like to me? And write down the me in capital bold letters, emphasize it, put rings around it, draw a sun, whatever you need to do, emphasize it, and then just let it flow. So for me, it turned out body surfing at the beach every day. It was chilling with family, espresso in the morning, looking at an amazing view, you know, traveling the world and all these things. And suddenly I realized I was investing my time and energy and money and stuff over here I didn't even want. If I could invest my time, energy, and money and stuff I did want... Doesn't that make a whole lot more sense? And most people have the, well, everyone has the capacity to live the life they want, but you can't if you can't define it. So asking yourself that simple question, what does success look like for me? And when you drill down, very rarely is it a million dollars or a new car or a flash of house. You know, very rarely is that what success looks like for individuals when you delve a little bit deeper. They are often byproducts of achieving certain things but they aren't the driver so that to me is ask yourself that question and I always recommend to people go to your happy place for me it's at the beach and I know you love the beach as well you live close to it and you've spent your life near it go to the beach or if you love the mountains or the lakes go somewhere that it's just you and your happy place with a blank sheet of paper and ask yourself that question and that I still remember the day I did that on the beach. And I remember, it wasn't long after what my son said to me, it prompted it. I remember running back up the hill to our house and running on the door and shouting at my wife going, I've got it, I've got it. She's looked at me going, what are you got? You've been for a walk on the beach. What, what have you got? Have you stung by a jellyfish or something? I'm like, I've got it, I've got it. <laughs> and it literally took me a quarter of an hour to calm down and relax for me to explain to her that I just defined what it looked like for me. And then over the coming months, we added in her part of that. We talked to the kids about it for that. And suddenly we had this picture of what it looked like. And then we set about going, let's do that now. So that to me is the key, not living your life based on other people's expectations, not on what we're told success looks like, but actually defining what it looks like for you. Ask the simple question, what does success look like to me? If I'm Mm -hmm. measuring it against what I want, what will I not, what will I look back on when I'm 95 With the palliative care nurse, and she says, You know, are you content with the life that you lived and what you achieved? You want to be able to say yes. You don't want to go, Well, no. So, what does that yes look like? What do you have to have done reverse engineering it over the next, well, you and I are getting older? What do we have to have done over the next (laughs) 50 years to mean that that's a yes? What does that look like? Go and do it now. And that's how you
1: design a life that you absolutely would not trade for anything. So, so, so pumped to have you on the show. You can find Fraser at FraserCameron.com. You can find him where I found him on LinkedIn, which he's very active on LinkedIn. And I'm just so grateful that we were able to connect there. You're also on Facebook, Fraser Cameron. It's with the S, yes. but I'm pronouncing it. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. No, well. Most Americans are Fraser, Fraser and think it's more like Razor, but with the F kind of, right? Or no?
0: No, you have know, it, Billy.
1: <laughs> Fraser Cameron Coach. That's Facebook.com forward slash Fraser. Cameron Coach, and you can find him on, he's got a YouTube channel, he's got Instagram. What am I missing in terms of
0: where people can find you? I think you've nailed it. I also want to offer to your viewers, I've just got a a cool, short, sharp, and it's so short because my attention span and focus, Ebook about five ways to kickstart your journey to, to peak performance. It's five simple things that you can implement right now, a couple of which we've talked about today, and I'd love to be able to give you a link and flip that so people can go and download that because I give it to all my clients and everyone on email list. And it's a great, short, sharp way of things you can implement right now. So but other than that, you've listed all the places that I'm present and and I'd love people to come and visit and check out. Feel free to reach out to me. I'm always available to have chats with someone and share insight and give them my opinions on things.
1: Absolutely. And I'll include all the links in the show notes. Fraser, so, so, so excited to have you on the show to learn how to design a life that I wouldn't trade for anything. Thank you for being on Inside Out.
0: Oh, Billy, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to share it with you and I've loved chatting with you on this. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside
1: Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.